Hello, everybody. And then we're going to time with the sermon together. Psalm 19. This is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the uh, end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is God's word. Uh, please pray with me one more time. And uh, let's ask God together and humble ourselves um, to his word. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time again that um, you have uh, just showered us uh, with your grace already thus far. You are so good to us, but especially as we are going to the time of the word, uh, we are so ready to receive from you. So would you take away any obstacles in our hearts, even right now, so we will have faith that comes from your spirit. Oh Lord, use me as your humble servant and vessel that only has nothing to offer but um, just my lips um, just wanting to be used by you. May all of us as your church uh, hear from you and be transformed uh, by this word and the Holy Spirit that you have given us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 19. Uh, we'll be reading the whole uh, psalm. Uh, we'll probably go by pretty fast, uh, but uh, it's a great psalm. I'm excited to study this with you. I hope that you leave this place blessed by his word. Three points 
to help you follow along. Uh, first, the revelation of God in creation. Second, the revelation of God in the Word. And thirdly, the revelation of our sin. First, the revelation of God in creation. Verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Um, let me pause a little bit here and uh, just want to I just want you to see this. Uh, in, in Hebrew, I mean, in English, we use rhyming uh, as a tool to make uh, prose into, you know, poetry or uh, lyrics, right? But in Hebrew, they use this thing called parallelism. They use same, uh, similar concepts, you know, back to back to uh, give some, you know, rhythm. So here, when it says, heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's basically the same thing, you know, back to back. So what that means is, so heaven, sky, declare, proclaim, the third pairing, glory of God and his handiwork have to be uh, synonyms. So what that means is, the sky above proclaims that it is God's work, the, the work of God's hand, and therefore it reveals God's glory. What's God's glory? His power, His wisdom, that He is a great creator. That's what the sky proclaims. And then David further explains this in the following verses. So verse 2, it says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night uh, reveals knowledge. So um, obviously enough, in, in, during the day, day to day, uh, the sky and the nature pours our speech, meaning it expresses glory of God. But at night, probably especially at night, when there's some color contrast, we see, you know, trillions of stars and planets um, and the solar system, as well as galaxies in the universe. So he's saying that even more at night, we see God's glory. God is great. He created all of this. He must be so powerful and wise and then verse three here comes paradox it says there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard meaning you know when the nature proclaims god's glory they do not use human language it's inaudible uh, meaning that uh, verse four it says their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world, uh, in them he has set a tent for the sun. Uh, meaning that uh, they use visual, not you know, audible language, but a visual a presentation of God's glory. And therefore, it's universal. You know, it's not bound by geography. It's not bound by you know, local language. But the nature proclaims to the whole world that God is great. And that's what he's saying. And then, uh, for the rest of the stanza, we will see that David picks out one example in the sky uh, that communicates God's glory, namely the sun. So let's read together here. Uh, it says in verse 4, In them, in the sky, in the, in the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and a, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the, the end of the heavens, and its circuit 
to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So he's talking about the rising and the setting of the sun. And before I explain this uh, portion, I want to encourage you to, to acknowledge that this is poetry, meaning it's art that paints a picture with words, uh, meaning that this is not a science essay. Um, in fact, the whole Bible, the, the primary purpose of the Bible is not necessarily to satisfy our scientific inquiry. Although, you know, some things that we study in the Bible can help us understand, you know, God and you know, his world scientifically. So the genre here is uh, poetry. What that means is we need to appreciate um, the, the, the artistry of David here, uh, that this is poetry. Uh, so we do not have to dissect, you know, these things scientifically, but we can just sit back and relax and appreciate the creativity of the, of the psalmist. So with that said, let's, let's see how he paints the picture here. He says, you know, in them he set a tent for the sun. Meaning when he sees the rising of the sun, he sees the horizon and he imagines that there is a person rising out of a tent, and the, which is the horizon. And there, you know, he sees God's glory. And then he goes on. Uh, he says, the sun, you know, moves through its circuit in the sky, you know, like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Uh, it's a cultural reference. You know, back then, a groom would leave his house, his chamber, in a dashing wedding garment, uh, and he would go to his bride's house to claim her. Meaning, David, the psalmist, is seeing the rising of the sun. Um, you know, in, in the sun, he's seeing the joy and exuberance of the groom, you know, being about to marry the love of his life. And he also sees a strong man, uh, perhaps think of, you know, awesome athlete, you know, running on his track in Olympics, perhaps. So David sees in the sun another picture where he sees the strength and vigor of an athlete. And then he ends the portion by saying, nothing is hidden from the sun's heat, meaning that, just like he said in the last portion, that everyone in the world, you know, the speech goes out to, the, to all the world. Everyone in the world sees this phenomenon. And not only that, they feel the warmth of the sun. So everybody in the world, when they see the sun, the, the splendor of the sun, they have to acknowledge that there must be a joyful, strong creator who made the sun run its course like that. In other words, through you know, this picture, word picture here, David is describing the whole creation, how it broadcasts to everyone that, that there is God and he created all these things and he is glorious and wise and powerful. And the theologians call this general revelation, that God and his attributes are revealed to us through what he has created. And that's what we see here. Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife and I traveled to uh, Bryce Canyon in Utah. If you can maybe uh, zoom through these pictures, you don't have to stay in any one of the pictures. And uh, honestly, 
I didn't really expect, um, you know, much from this place. Uh, you know, we we're just going on this trip to the, the Canyon uh, Circle in Arizona and Utah. Uh, but when I got there, man, I was just blown away. I think these pictures do not do any justice. See how awkward I look there, you know. Uh, but I was trying to demonstrate how awesome it looks. Uh, but the pictures really do not do justice. It's, it's amazing there. This place is huge, but more than that, maybe if you go to the last picture, um, you know, in the series, um, I just couldn't find a good picture that I took, so I took I got the uh, picture from um, you know Google, and as you see, like the, the each um, you know the structures they're they're all natural, you know none of them are artificial. It's hard to believe, but um, you know apparently it was created by erosions, um, especially through the freezing and thawing of water. And you know when you actually see that you know in front of this whole scene, it's you know amazing. It's just hard to believe that those are all natural things, um, and they just look so designed, don't they? They look designed. And using the words of David here, these things are pouring out a speech, aren't they? That says the Creator made this, and He is beautiful and wise, just like what you see. How about our mundane lives? Uh, do we often see the glory of God in our daily uh, walk? You know, I would argue that you know, every single day, day, to, day by day and night by night, uh, the creation still pours out, the, pours out the speech that says you know, God is glorious, but we often miss it. I think there are several factors, but one is obviously the technology. I think you know, the technology really trains us to be shallow. You know, we just see the creation as a means to an end, and you know, we don't go deeper than the, the surface. And also, you know, I think the stay-at-home life during the pandemic may have shut off our eyes uh, to the beauties around us. But my question is, when you see the sun, uh, you know, do you see the tent as well? When you see the sun, do you see the joyful bridegroom as well? Or do we just see the sun? That may show, uh, you know, where our heart is. Because David, when he saw the creation through the lens of God, he saw so much beauty. Likewise, I was just thinking about what other things that um, display the glory of God yesterday and I thought about the spring rain that hit against the windows yesterday until it snowed again um, but it was beautiful melting the snow on the road and um, around my house you know when you see the birds uh, like the other day the when it was warmer birds were chirping and came back to our bird houses you know around our house signaling that it is warmer. And when we see the laughter, you know, with the people that we cherish, and when we see uh, or when we hear music that moves our emotion, all of them display the glory of God because God is a creator of all those good things. The revelation of God in the creation 
in the nature. Second revelation, the revelation of God in the word. Now the general revelation that we just looked at truly reveals the work of God as a creator, but you cannot personally get to know uh, who God is through the general revelation. So God has given us what the theologians call special revelation, uh, which is his written down word. So the following verses uh, contain six different terms, pretty much synonyms, but they have different aspects too, I'll explain. Um, and they, those terms explain or, or refer to basically the Jewish scriptures, especially the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called Torah. Uh, and after each term, uh, David also describes what the book is like and how it benefits people. But for Christians, we can expand it to include the whole uh, canon, the, the both Old Testament and New Testament, because we believe that God revealed fully, entirely of himself through Jesus Christ. And the New Testament is a written record of him. Uh, so the, it's talking about the word, basically. That's how we are to apply it. So now, uh, follow with me then uh, as, as I go through the next few verses here. Uh, talking about the word. First, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. God's law, God's word is flawless, perfect, reliable, complete, without any error or deficiency. And it says, when it says reviving the soul, what that means is that it heals your whole personhood by assuring you of God's forgiveness of your sins and his future promises. So it heals you, it, it restores you. And second, also in verse 7, it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So again, another word for the word, the testimony is sure. What that means is it's, it's been tested to be trustworthy. And then it also says, that it makes wise the simple, meaning the, the, the word of the Lord contains and teach, teaches the wisdom, the very wisdom of God uh, for every area of our lives. And then verse 8, uh, it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Uh, again, precepts, another word for the, uh, for the word, and, and that uh, is right, meaning morally right, as well as, you know, straightforward, without any, you know, you know, beating around the bush. And it says, uh, you know, rejoicing your heart, meaning that it'll make you glad and joyful because it'll straight up tell you, you know, how to be joyful, which is how to love God and live for Him. Because uh, if you live for what is truly worthwhile, which is God, you will be joyful your heart will be filled with joy. And verse 8, it goes on. It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandments, the word, uh, is pure, meaning unmixed with evil. And enlightening the eyes is different from what we learned uh, last week, what the Holy Spirit does. But it's more, here it's more talking about how when you have light in your eyes, meaning you look alive, the word by giving you uh, the word of the salvation and the, the content of joy and freedom, it makes you come alive and you know, people will see that you are alive. 
That's what the word does. And verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That the word um, you know, invokes in you the healthy fear that you don't treat God uh, like you treat other people, but he is to be respected and honored. The word invokes in you the healthy fear, reverence, and it's clean and flawless. And what it says, it endures forever. What that means is that it does not, the word does not change with times and trends. It's not you know, what's trending on Twitter or social media. Uh, it is always applicable perfectly you know, throughout the generations. And in verse uh, 9, uh, it says, um, the fear of the Lord is, uh, or the rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Meaning the word uh, is, again, trustworthy and then righteous, meaning that um, the word reflects the character of God. And as we read on the word of God, we become like God. We gain the righteousness and truth meaning that the word transforms us to be more like God. So that is all. And in summary, what David is saying is this. The word of God is timeless, perfect, true, so that we can fully trust it at all times. And the benefit of the word is it completely heals your heart and makes you joyful and change you and grow your character to be godly. To the point that David exclaims in the next two verses, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Meaning that, because the word is so perfect and can deeply transform you and give you joy, it is much more valuable than the riches of the world, the gold, and to be more, it's, it's more pleasurable than, you know, candies or any good food, um, you know, sushi or whatever it is, right? And then notice there that David calls himself a servant, meaning as he sees the value of the word, he is calling himself a humble servant, meaning he wants to submit himself to the word of God and obey it. And that's his attitude. So when, like David, you, know, you follow the word as your authority, and it says there's great reward, again, pointing back to you know, your godly character and lasting joy that comes out of studying the word and embracing it. And therefore, David is pleading with us, saying, hey, readers of the word, readers of this psalm, please desire the word like you would money or honey or candy or whatever, and, and humbly submit yourself to that word. Because if you do that, then your life will be complete. If you do that, you will live a life that you've ever dreamed of. And that's his plea, because the word is that uh, perfect and changes us and gives the life that we always wanted. Um, if you go to the next slide, um, you know, I read this 
article recently. I don't know if any of you did. Uh, I think I read, I read it this past week. That was really helpful. And the article, just like the title may indicate, it deals with this movement, a recent movement called the deconstruction of faith. I don't know about you, but uh, some of my friends, my dear friends, you know, often post on social media these days about how they have been disappointed with Christianity uh, that they grew up with and are now, you know, deconstructing their faith and trying to see where they go from there. And the, the, the author of this article um, went through the, this deconstruction uh, herself. And when she got out of it, she writes, you know, she studied the movement him, herself. And then she realized that the problem, there was a problem with this process because the problem was with the deconstruction uh, that it doesn't really have a goal to restore you as a Christian. She says, most of the time, the, the people who go through the process of deconstruction end up in a place where, you know, based on their new belief system, they're no longer Christians by definition. And the author identifies the main reason for this uh, to be the Bible and its teaching being the first thing they abandon when they say, I'm going to deconstruct, deconstruct my faith. They, the first thing that they do in that process is abandon what the Bible says because they consider the Bible, the objective truth, to be oppressive. And so instead they look to other subjective beliefs, but ironically they end up you know, looking to other means like psychology and other uh, religious practices as an authority, as a replacement of Christianity. And then she says this, if you go to the next slide, uh, quote, you know, as Christians, the process of evaluating our beliefs, traditions, and church culture in light of scripture and rejecting any unbiblical beliefs with the goal of living more authentically as Christians should be a daily reality. But this isn't deconstruction. It might be rightly called reformation, restoration, or even healing. What she's saying is that you know, it's healthy for Christians to constantly re-examine their lives and, and practice to see if it's really what God's word is saying. You know, as opposed to, you know, what their cultural Christianity taught them. But that is very different from disregarding the Bible as the authority and try to discover, you know, what works for me instead. Uh, recently, uh, Deb, Seth, and I were invited to uh, someone's house for a dinner. And the family's children, they're just very kind that, you know, they're showing us, you know, their rooms and their stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the kids showed me a fish in a tiny, tiny fish bowl. And my first reaction, which I did not share with him, not to uh, crush his spirit, but my reaction was, oh, poor fish. You know, you must feel so suffocated, you know, in that tiny fish bowl tucked under the bookshelf. Um, again, I didn't tell him. Um, I think that was a good idea. But now think about this. Just imagine the scene there. Think about it. You know, is the way to liberate the fish, taking it out of the fishbowl and, you know, out of the water? 
You know, can the fish really be free in the, in the open world? The answer is no. The fish may feel free for maybe one second, but it'll start gasping and it'll eventually die. Rather, the freedom for the fish means a bigger fishbowl. The freedom means actually more water to be in. Maybe we can put it in like a public, public aquarium. <laughs> that will be a true freedom, not outside of the water. Likewise, for Christians to be free, the answer is not to abandon the Bible and to get out of the Christian fishbowl, so to speak. Because if they do, sure, they might feel free for some time, but ironically, they will feel bondaged to other things and be chained to alternative philosophies and religions. And eventually, there will be the spiritual demise. Meaning, for Christians to be truly free, they need more and fresher water of God's word. Only then, they can truly swim free in the ocean of God's truth. And I'm really sharing this out of heart that's aching because, like I said, um, things I see on social media these days, um, the struggling with their faith, I understand where they're coming from because I know many of them are coming from true disappointment and pain from Christianity, Christians, and church especially. So my heart breaks, and I don't know, for um, group this size, maybe some of you listening to the sermon right now are struggling. So do not hear me say that, you know, this is a black and white thing. I, my heart aches, and I pray for those of you and everyone that I know who's going through this. But my prayer is that you consider how David is describing the word of God in this passage and you experience the true freedom and healing that comes from the word of God. And for some of us, this may mean that you have to wrestle. Uh, you don't want to blindly just receive things, obviously. Maybe some of us really struggle with the idea that the Bible is perfect, inerrant, um, you know, on and on, trustworthy. My encouragement to you is do your study. Uh, talk to me too, individually. I'll give you the list because I had to wrestle with that uh, as a young Christian, along with the special topic of evolutionism. I really struggled with that when I was a young Christian. But after my studies, I can tell you this. I realized there are so many evidences that these books present about the validity of Scripture so that I really sincerely believe that you cannot not believe in the Scriptures. You can trust it. You can. And for those of us who, who do believe after the process, again, David is in, inviting us to really desire and crave God's word because you will reap the spiritual benefits. You will. So the revelation of God himself in the word. And lastly, the revelation of our sin. So after encountering and embracing the revelation of God in the nature and in the word, 
the question now is, how should a human being respond to, to God? Verses 12 and 13, it says this. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. In light of God's glory, power, and perfection, and purity in the nature, and especially in the word of God, David sees what? His sins. The hidden sins are the inadvertent sins that he may have committed unknowingly or in ignorance. I think one example might be, you know, you say things carelessly and that hurts other people. That's careless and inadvertent, but it's still sin. And also it says presumptuous sins. Those are willful sins. You willfully commit in arrogance and pride, and you dis disregard what God expects of you. Meaning that David, in light of God's holiness, is saying that there is totality of sin living in him, both obvious and hidden. He takes them seriously. And he's almost in agony as he sees you know, where he is in comparison, in, in contrast to God's holiness. And if you read through the Bible, that's the normal reaction. Uh, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah, when he, when he encountered God, he said, oh my goodness, I'm doomed. I live among the people of unclean lips. He was dying. And Peter, when he encountered Jesus, he says, he said, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's kind of like this. I mean, it's hard to find a good illustration, but you know, it's, it's like when you see a really well-dressed person in a group. You get to compare that. You realize, oh man, I'm poorly dressed. Can you multiply that by maybe trillion? When you encounter God, you're face to face <clears throat> with perfection, perfect purity, perfect beauty that the world has never known. And all you can see in yourself is sins. So David acknowledges his sins right away in, in much agony. And he also prays and He's determined to turn away from his sins. That's why he says, I shall be blameless. But he also prays in verse, 15, verse 14 that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, meaning my whole life, God, may be worshipped to you, acceptable to you. So what he's doing is repenting. Repentance means not just saying sorry to God, but there has to be action that you go from Sorry to God, help me to grow, help me to grow out of my sins, not just with my mouth, but with my meditation, with my whole heart. That is true repentance, and that's what he's doing in light of God's holiness. But I need you to notice one thing here, important thing, that you see the assurance David has of his forgiveness. Again, he said, I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of great transgression. The future tense there. 
not may I, I shall. And in verse 15, David called God my rock, which means my refuge, my, re- my redeemer, uh, obviously means the one who uh, saves us from you know, the slavery of sins. In other words, while repenting of his sins, David knows, he's not just blindly repenting, but he knows, he's assured that God will forgive him and he will declare him blameless and innocent. And, and we may ask, where does the confidence come? How does he know? It's because David is, as a prophet, looking forward to the coming Messiah that he sees from afar that Jesus Christ will live the perfect, blameless life, the only person in the whole history of humanity. And yet, he will die for his sins on the cross. That when he believes in him, whoever believes in him, will have their sins paid for on the cross with Christ. And instead, they will wear Jesus' perfect blamelessness, perfect righteousness. In other words, as we've learned these terms, that believers are justified before God. And then they're adopted into his family as sons and daughters. What that means, please follow with me. What that means is, if you are a believer in Christ, there is no more penalty for your sins in the present. That God is your Father now. He will not let you go, no matter what failure you commit along the way. So then the question we should ask is, why should we repent, right? If our sins are forgiven already, what's the purpose of repentance? We repent for the relationship's sake, meaning that the followers of Christ desire, because of their new nature through the Holy Spirit, they desire the intimate relationship with God. And they realize that their sins are always getting in the way in the relationship. So when, by the word, God reveals their sins, They are to acknowledge and turn away from these sins so that their relationships can be restored with God. Uh, Let me illustrate this way. Uh, Deb and I, my wife and I, uh, have been married for uh, almost eight years now. And I can say without any, any doubt, with much confidence that those were literally the happiest years of my life, really. Uh, but just like other couples, we do fight. And, uh, and when we fight, uh, we sometimes you know, go, go through this period where we avoid one another. And uh, it's because it's, it's awkward, you know? Like after you fight with somebody, you're just awkward and um, you know, maybe you're just still upset. So it can go for maybe hours or days. Um, and you know, during that time, you know, you're suffering because you cannot talk to that person that you love and there is that barrier between the intimate relationship. But it's only when we acknowledge to one another our wrongs and promise, we promise to change, then our relationship is restored and we enjoy our relationship again. And, you know, for those of you who are not married, I think this applies to any relationship, right? You know, for friendships and 
any family member relationships. Um, you know, whenever there is anything that's in the way in the relationship, it, it gets awkward. There, there's no progress in the relationship. And that is like that with God. Uh, except, of course, God does not sin in the relationship. Uh, you know, when we have unrepentant sin in our lives, you know, our relationship with God is suffering. And it's only when we acknowledge our sins and decide to turn away decisively and, and ask God for help with that, then we can truly grow again with God. That's the purpose and value and importance of repentance. And let me address this really quick there. Uh, I understand that some of us, the concept of repentance can be hard, I've, I've noticed along the way, uh, because you perhaps grew up in a family where you experienced lots of shame and uh, harsh, excessive punishment whenever you did something wrong. Uh, so when you are told to repent, it's not a good feeling because the first reaction you may have is, you know, you don't want to be found out. And uh, you don't want to admit you're wrong. You want to run away for fear of punishment. And that is a tough thing to deal with. I know that. You know, I've talked with many people who go through that so that repentance is not a joyful thing. It's a harsh thing. And as I understand you, uh, can I remind you again to encourage you, for believers in Christ, there is no more condemnation and punishment. You can be safe with the Father, God the Father. And the ultimate goal of repentance is restoration and receiving more love from God as the relationship is restored. Repentance is a good thing. In closing then, with that in mind, can I encourage our church to repent for this one particular area? And just generally, I think, you know, our church has a very particular demographics in terms of age, uh, as far as I know. If I'm missing somebody, please forgive me, but I think uh, mostly we're, we, we consist of college students and you know, young adults. And I think the temptation during that you know, uh, period of time, the seasons, can be pride that leads to idolatry. Pride that leads to idolatry. Let me explain. You know, pride, in essence, uh, have to do with you, know, you thinking that you are the center of, the, uh, of your life, not God. So even when you go to church and serve God, uh, you know, deep inside, the main concern in your life might be you know, how your life will turn out. Will it turn out the way I want? And here's what I mean. You know, if you're a student, you know, have you surrendered your school and future to God? Is it okay, whatever happens? And as a working young adult, have you surrendered your career to God? Have you surrendered everything else to God so that those good things do not become ruling things in your life? Have all these things been laid out to God so he can do whatever he wants with it? 
And, and what, what, what's your reaction when things do not go according to your plan? Are you devastated? That's a sign that we haven't surrendered. And how about when things do go according to our plan? Right then, do you seek God more or perhaps do you seek God less because you know, you've got what you wanted? In which case, it may be the case that we've been using God all along for what we want. In other words, what is standing between you and God? That's the point in, your, in, in the season of your life right now. What is between you and God in the relationship? As God, as the Word of God, again, shows us His character and our sins, may we willingly drop to our, our knees and run to Him for, for these sins. Not so that we feel bad, again, so that we can embrace God's love and His restoration. Let's pray together. Before we um, close with a song, uh, let's pray right now um, in light of uh, God's word, um, which is true, which is pure, which is trustworthy, no um, dubious purpose, just straightforward about what truth is. The purpose of the Word of God is to revive our soul, enlighten our hearts and our, our eyes, give us joy and freedom, true freedom. And then the, the Word of God says, there's something that is going on in our hearts that is in the way of our enjoying God fully. Are those things hidden or are, are those things willful? Are we desiring God more? And the Word of God is saying, God wants us, more of us. And is there pride in our hearts? Are we, am I, the center of my life? I will not give up my throne to God. No way. Is God our king? Are we his servants? Let's examine our hearts together. Again, I uh, just want to remind us again, the goal is restoration, not just to make us feel bad. And when we come back to God, my goodness, we may experience joy that's beyond what we have experienced in our own lives. Let's pray together. Let's spend some time in prayer.
pray. Uh, please, uh, but please stand. Uh, we're going to respond with this song and uh, continue to pray through this song. Um, so let's stand together. I uh, just want to explain something here before we sing this song. Um, the song talks about how uh, you know, David again is saying, you know, God, cast me not away uh, and take your Holy Spirit away from me. And, and there the confusion might be, oh wait, we learned that Holy Spirit stays with us forever. Um, uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's main function was uh, anointing people for certain tasks. Um, so when David says, after he sinned with Bathsheba, um, his concern was, man, you know, Holy Spirit is going to leave me in a sense that not losing salvation, but um, I'm going to be stopped, uh, you know, used by God for the task of leading God's people. So he's basically crying out to God, God, I know I've sinned. Uh, please uh, give me uh, chances for me to um, you know, keep being used by you. Um, so that's what it's saying. Um, so Holy Spirit stays with us forever, um, but you can feel the cry, the, the sentiment of David when he cries out through the song. So again, let's sing the song together uh, in prayer, and let's continue to repent and come back to God together. Pray together. Um, assurance. Assurance is the cross. Jesus Christ died for us so that if we are in Him, we're justified, meaning that God sees us as sinless through the perfect righteousness of Christ. So all your sins are forgiven as we repent uh, of these sins. And the cost of our sins was the death of the Son of God. That shows that He loves us that much. He wants us that much that the sins had to be dealt with in that way. So may we embrace uh, his love for us as we close this time uh, as we have um, just lay down our hearts in humility saying God uh, forgive me but thank you for pursuing after me day by day hour by hour help me to stay with you Tell me, may these sins I have not have dominion over me, not control me, not make me addicted. Tell me, God, because I want more of you, Lord. May I experience you more, turning away from all the worthless things of life and this world. May I experience you. pray uh, just a little more. Uh, I'll close for us, but let's wrestle with God and especially embrace His grace for us as we come before Him.
Heavenly Father, we um, come before you. Uh, rather, we have been drawn by you. You've been seeking us even before we uh, sought you or came back to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us. Your grace and your mercy are new every single morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your steadfast love that is unconditional. Trusting and hoping to trust in your love for us, uh, we confess our sins, all the things that we hold dear in our lives, whatever that, that might be, and that's between us and you, but you know our hearts. Help us to come back to you and um, desire you more, God, in our lives. And strengthen us in that journey. Like David prayed, uh, please keep us and um, protect us from any, any sins that may have dominion over us. Help us, Lord. And as a church, too, may we be praying and repenting church always uh, acknowledging your great love for us as a church despite our failures help us always humble ourselves to you and love each other that way showing grace to one another as well just as you do to us let's close this time with the Lord's prayer our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat>